Welcome to the very first episode of the See Us podcast, brought to you by the Narrative Justice. Shannon Williams here giving you the grand opening and after the show, the grand closing. Shout out to the Pittsburgh Foundation for supporting our work in media accountability and providing us with the resources necessary to make this show happen. One small step, y'all. No matter where you fall in the conversation about police violence, one thing we all share is that we all are astoundingly underinformed. And that's because police violence largely goes unreported. And because of the underreporting, the only narrative we have to qualify the issue is almost completely devoid of victims' voices, leaving the victimizers to write themselves as the hero and the victims as the villains. So when I say this podcast is necessary and revolutionary, not just for black, brown, and marginalized folks, but for us all, I mean that in the truest sense. Before we move forward, let me clarify that when we say police violence, we're not limiting that to just physical harm. We recognize that violence comes in all sorts of interesting flavors, including intimidation, harassment, verbal and psychological abuse, police terrorism, excessive legal action, and so on. Also, I'd like to clarify that this podcast is not to bash the police. I think it goes without saying that, of course, there are plenty of officers who are not racist and corrupt. There are plenty of officers who do make our community safer and treat everyone with dignity and respect. The problem is the ones who are violent are not beholden to any measure of accountability. And so with that being said, let me introduce the show. First, I have to give the biggest shout out to the Narrative Justice Storytellers Camp. Our students created this podcast and recorded the first episode at an art exhibit that they curated to kick off the show. These young adults did such an amazing job this summer, and they deserve all of the praise. This first episode is co-hosted by Jaden, Royal, and Ace, and their two guests are Teron Jenkins and Terrell Johnson. A disclaimer about the episode, there were a couple areas where the sound dips off a little because of the mic placement. So when the episode begins, the guests aren't introduced, though they are at the end. Teron's the first person to speak. There was also another place in the recording where the sound dips off a little bit, but it was really important content, so we figured we'd just give you a heads up at the beginning rather than cutting it off. That's all I have for the intro. Buckle up and tune in. Welcome to the Narrative Justice CS Podcast. We have Royal with us, we have Ace with us, and we have our guest. And Jaden McDonald is your host of the podcast. So... What are your thoughts on police brutality, Teron? I think uh, police brutality is an issue that is obviously near and dear to me because I'm a criminal defense attorney, and I see, uh, I see, I've, I've, I've witnessed years and decades of police getting a free pass for committing brutality against people, our people, and other people. So I think that. Um, now that we, we've been engaging in this discussion about criminal justice reform, police brutality fits right into that. And uh, I think that now that more people are beginning to realize uh, how prevalent it is, especially like with social media, and we're able to actually see these things in real time because before it was just somebody saying that they were beat or assaulted by a police officer. Now we're actually seeing it in real time with video, cell phone video, eyewitness accounts. Uh, my thoughts on it, I think the conversation about police brutality needs to be a little bit wider than our thought process and just, you know, somebody, them harming someone physically. Um, I think their abuse of power um, is all in and through the, the, the court system. You know, the way that they try cases, the way that they investigate cases um, is, is a form of brutality. 
um, in my in my personal opinion. Um, and that only comes from my experience, um, as we was just talking about me being locked up for 17 years um, for a crime that I didn't commit. I feel like there were all sorts of um, acts of brutality and throughout the process. Um, and I just, you know, I just feel like the conversation needs to be a little bit broader than just us thinking about them beating us or shooting down, shooting us down in the street. So do you think there's a solution to police brutality? That's a that's a that's a tough one. I'll be, I'll be honest with you because there's a mindset that they have. There's a there's a set order um, of conduct that they're allowed um, to perform on a daily basis, and we don't know. I mean, we can we can say that you know these are unwritten things, unwritten ways, but. For so many of them to, to, to be conducting themselves like that, maybe it's an unwritten policy that they, you know, that they're okay with, they're comfortable with, because they have no problem with the things that they do. They don't worry about um, there being any type of repercussion for, for their actions. Um, so in terms of there being, you know, a way to, to change it or to stop them, I mean, my brother here, he ran for district attorney, and I feel like you got to start there. Um, they have to know that there is some type of consequence for your actions. You cannot just come down into these communities, black or white. So I'm not going to just restrict it, cause I, but I don't know what goes on in white communities. But I'm not, you know, a black male that says, you know, it's just, it's just us, it's just us. But I can really only concern myself with our issues. How they come down into our communities is a problem. And the only way that that can be affected is at the top. And that's what, you know, District Attorney Stephen Zapala. We have to start at the top. That's their boss. You have to get there in order for there to be some real change. Yeah, to piggyback on what Terrell said, unless there's accountability, it's not going to change. So the solution is to have consequences when these types of things happen. Um, if you, I mean, you guys are young. We've been seeing acts of, pol of police brutality our entire lives. I'm 41 years old, and it's this happens all the time. This happened before I was even born. You talk to my dad. He would tell you stories about pr police brutality. My dad is 70, 75, so not a whole lot has changed between his generation and my generation, and now your generation. <coughs> excuse me. Now your generation. So unless and until there are actual consequences for misconduct, nothing, nothing will change. And that's why it's up to you and your generation to engage this political process when you turn 18 so you can let your voices be heard. You can let your, your, your voices impact who sits in these offices that makes these decisions that affect your lives. What do you think causes police brutality? Like, you think the police are just scared? Or like, you think they just have like overpowering that they could just do what they want? Again, there's just never been any consequence. And I don't think they, a lot of the times they do not uh, they don't treat people humanely. They don't look at people like people, and I think that's part of the problem. Uh, there's 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 a lack of a lack of education uh, amongst police police officers. They don't know a lot about the people in the community, so they don't look at them as equals. They look at them as if they are beneath them. So I think I don't think I know that's part of the part of the main reason why you have all these acts of aggression, coupled with the fact that they're never held accountable for their actions. Um, do you think all current efforts of like pub publicity, I'm sorry, um, have been helpful to like spread attention and like spread awareness? I think for those that are choosing to be a part of the conversation, I do think that is helping um, because 
I'll say confidently, this is the most I've ever heard it talked about. Um, and it's and it's sad because it's only coming as a result of this generation suffering as so many other generations. Like, you guys are standing up. Like, you know, with the Antoine Rose situation, good or bad, right or wrong, y'all stood up. You understand what I'm saying? And it hadn't been, at least for my generation, we haven't had anyone with that type of, you know, with that with that type of conviction. I mean, people sit on the porch and talk about it all day long. People sit in the jails and, you know, people feel some type of way, but y'all got out in the streets. That made the difference now when it comes to, you know, the police really caring. I'm seeing, I mean, you, we all see what they did. They just surrounded y'all with their force, their threat, and try to contain the situation. But we weren't out there to be a threat. We were out there to say, yo, y'all can't keep doing this to us. We're not going for this. If we have more of that, I feel like, man, inside of our communities, because I'm a firm believer in policing ourselves, you're my kid, I only can worry about you right now. As long as my kid is not out there selling drugs, as long as my nephew is not out there shooting people, I'm like, I'm doing my part. But the minute that I'm not doing that, I'm in a way. You understand what I'm saying? So it's not always about us worrying about what they're doing and what they're not doing. We got to make sure our households are good. You understand what I'm saying? That It starts with us. I know people say that all the time, but it really comes down to us policing ourselves, making sure we're good. If you're homeboy, you and him walking down the street, you know he got a dip on him. Like, yo, dude, what are you doing? Like, we're going to school. Like, is it that real? What, what was the situation that caused you to have to need a gun? You understand what I'm saying? Y'all got to have that conversation because before I know about it as a parent, you know. That's your man. That's your bro. You really going to let him just go to school with a gun like the situation is really that bad? Or you really going to let him sell drugs? No, you got to hold him accountable. Again, like the brother said, accountability across the board. I mean, I don't have a whole lot to add to that, but like Terrell said, this is the most discussion that I've ever witnessed about criminal justice reform and police brutality. Um, I've been screaming about these issues since I've been practicing law. I've been a lawyer since 2005, and it's like only now that people are beginning to realize the impact that these issues are having on everyday citizens. I think it's good, but it's not enough. But I do applaud your generation because for so long we just limited these discussions to private homes, sitting in the corner, sitting in the barbershop. But you guys stood up. That's something that hasn't happened. This is like... We're living back in the 60s during the civil rights civil rights movement. This is our movement today. You guys are the leaders. You guys are the face. So I applaud you. Uh, before we get before we get into stories about what you went through, I want to ask: How did you view police as a child? Not all that great. It's like all my experiences with law enforcement were always confrontational and negative. And real talk, I was a good kid. I'll tell you this one story. When I was 13 years old, I was catching a bus to Kennywood, me and my uh, me and my best friend, and we were warm. We were going to this, uh, we had to catch the bus. You guys know where Turtle Creek is? When I was growing up, Turtle Creek was all white. There were no black people in Turtle Creek. It's a lot different than it was now. And we were warned once we got down there to be careful because we were black and we were going to be in a white town. And I remember getting off the bus and walking across the parking lot to go to the bus stop. And we were there for about five minutes, and the police pulled up. I didn't think anything of it because I didn't do anything wrong. Man, he jumped out on us. He was screaming at us. He said, you guys were down here trying to break in cars. Now, here I am, a 13-year-old kid. I'm not even tall enough to reach the pedal to try to break into a car to steal it. 
So this dude is going off telling us we got to get out of here. I'm panicking. I don't have any money. I, I we're, we're by ourselves. So finally I get on, uh, I called my uncle and he came and got us. But I'm like, wow. It's like I literally did nothing wrong. And I almost went to jail for being black in a white neighborhood. So you can imagine what that uh, did to my mind going forward about police. It's like that experience essentially laid the groundwork for how I interacted with police going forward because it wasn't fair. I didn't do anything, and I got, I got treated like a criminal when all I was doing was sitting at a bus stop trying to get to Kennywood. It's a real story. What's your worst experience with police dealing with police brutality? How, how did you view police as brutality? No contact with them. Like, we didn't – I mean, I grew up in Hazelwood at a time where it was just, it was just understood. You know, growing up, like, we have nothing in common with the police. Not that I was ever doing anything. Not that I was doing anything as a kid. It was just they didn't approach us, and we didn't approach them. We, they always looked at us like we were up to something, and it was because of stuff that happened in generations prior. They had just had a certain way that they dealt with us, you know? Like, from the time I, I say I got in trouble at school, I got into a fight. It was a regular fist fight. They sent me straight to Schumann. I'm like, hold up, like this is regular stuff. Why am I already being criminalized? You understand what I'm saying? As, a, as I, I got into, can I get into a fight? Can I grow? Can I learn how to knuckle up? It wasn't nothing that serious. Straight to Schumann. That's just how they dealt with my generation, period. When it came down to us getting into trouble, they kicked my whole generation out of school. They didn't play no games. Y'all all getting kicked out over a fight. That's how they dealt. That's how they dealt with us. And moving forward, growing up, it was just like we understood. Y'all don't mess with us. We don't mess with y'all. Whether you were in something or you wasn't, that's just what it was. And it's been that way. They still come down in the Hazelwood with the same mentality, the same sense of aggression, hand on their gun, which is everywhere. You know what I mean? But I didn't really realize, truthfully, where I was from until I turned myself in, man, and they started – talking to me the way that they were talking to me, calling me the names that they were calling me, you know, identifying me as being in the gang. I ain't never been in the gang in my life. No blood, no crib. They used to have, like, this thing called the Hazelwood Mom. I ain't never been in the Hazelwood Mom, no nothing. But in the articles, after I turned myself in, they just demonized me. My mother had no, like, my mother's sitting there like, who is this kid that y'all are talking about? Because I've never heard any of these things. My mother never heard nothing about me being in the gang. Now, because of them and the story that they're writing, and I always say to people, don't never let nobody write your story. Don't never, because them people, when they get to talking about you, man, they not gonna do you no justice at all. And that's just always been my experience. They're hostile towards us, whether we engage or we don't. That's just that's just what it is, and it's a sad fact of reality. I would say sitting through Terrell's trial, um, and we're gonna get into that obviously, but I saw the hearts of men and how evil they can be to secure a conviction that they knew was unjust. So rather than do the right thing and withdraw the charges against my brother, they they forged ahead and they put on witnesses that they knew were lying. They knew they weren't being truthful, but to them it wasn't about the truth. It was about their anger and their pride and they're trying to save face for the fact that they offered him a deal to come home if he admitted to something he didn't do and he didn't do it. So it was like all bets are off, and they um, they did some things during that trial that I'll never forget, and um, I'll just leave that at that. But I, I think that 
his trial and what he went through was like the the ultimate display of abuse of power, not only by the police, but the district attorney's office as well, because they should have did the right thing and they didn't. I turn, when I turned myself in, I was confident that I was doing the right thing and that it was going to play out the way that it was, you know, it was supposed to. But because, as my brother said, they had a whole different agenda. They were working on a whole different plan with motives that were that are still beyond me. Um, it's like, I don't know, because I, I've seen, like, district attorneys, cops, manipulate the system in such a way, man, that cost me my life for no reason. Like, I wasn't a minister to society. I wasn't out here shooting people. I wasn't, you know, kidnapping people. Them working to get my life taken away and then making a deal with someone else in exchange for testimony. This is in exchange for someone else testifying against me. This person would be able to go free. That's an extreme abuse of power. That's brutality to me. That's harmful because you changed the outcome of a lot of people's lives. Like I had children at the time when I turned myself in. My children were two and four years old. I didn't come home until they were, what, 18, 19 years old. That's major. Like, I missed out on their whole lives. I came home. My sons had beards, and my daughter was not a virgin anymore. Like, life happened. This is what they took from me with no apologies, no nothing, all because they felt like they could. With nothing. Like, I didn't have no, no backdrop, no script, no nothing. And they still, to this day, have not been held accountable for what they do. That's a problem. That's my most, you know, intimate experience with police brutality. That's 17 years. Me standing in front of a man who I never met in my life, didn't know me from nothing, told me that I was never coming home again. Well, it's just more of like a little thing to say. Like, I, for both of you, I'm so sorry to hear that those these things happened to you. And I just want you guys to know, like, no matter how hard our oppressors try to make us feel like we're worthless and, like, we don't mean anything to them or, like, we're the scum of the earth according to their eyes, just know that both of you are, like, wonderful, amazing people. And I find it to be a very brave thing to come up here and speak about that. How do you think police brutality will be in five to ten years? If you guys keep on grinding and keep on pushing the issue and never shut up, because y'all can't shut up, it's, it's, it's important that y'all never shut up. If y'all take, if y'all don't shut up and y'all are accountable, not, you know, where the police are concerned, because our issues are our issues. They start with us. You feel what I'm saying? Nobody can get, get to us if we build a wall around us. If we're holding each other accountable, they can't get to us. If you're not letting your homie do some something that can compromise both of y'all lives, it'll make the difference. But that's that's just where I've always been with it, man. It's not always about looking at what somebody else is doing because in some regards, they're going to do what they're going to do. Yes, hold them accountable, get in position to make sure that they don't do what they're, what they're doing. But that's by far, to me, the biggest gang that exists on the planet and not just here in Allegheny County. They have a gang mentality, and that's how they conduct themselves. You can be a black cop. And go, and I'm, I'm going to try to change it. But I guarantee they're going to change you before you change them. That's just what it is. That's how ingrained that bull crap is into their heads. That they sit up here and the rest of the people sit down here. And supposedly, they're supposed to be protecting us. 
How are we dying? You understand what I'm saying? How are we feeling like victims if you're here to protect us? But again, we can't focus on things outside of ourselves. We got to get us right, first and foremost. That's the key point. I think you hit all the points. I also think that your generation has to continue to speak up and continue to gauge this political process. You guys have to put people in office that are going to look out for your best interest because we haven't had that. Whether we're talking about magistrates, judges, elected officials, district attorneys, you guys need to put the people in, in position that will protect you. I was just going to say we need to, um, we need, I mean, this sounds silly, but we need more love. We don't have love for each other. It's like we treat each other like animals. We really do. And then the police turn around and they treat us even worse. It's like we don't trust each other. We don't love each other. We don't spend time with each other. So the only way, like when you talk about police brutality, until we unite and stand together as one, they're going to continue to do what they do. Because if we don't respect ourselves, how are we going to expect them to respect us? And that's them or anybody. The next man, it doesn't matter. Like, and trust. Like, we got to learn how to trust each other again. And, and, and look back to a time when it wasn't always like this. Like, there, was, there wasn't always a time, man, where we would walk past each other and not speak, put our heads down and act like we don't see each other. Me, I don't do that. If I walk past, especially an older black man or black woman, I acknowledge them. Young black males, I acknowledge them. Young black sisters, I acknowledge them. And I always look for opportunities to give them hugs. I'm going to approach you. You understand what I'm saying? Because I'm not scared of you. They can, like, the older generations have conditioned themselves to be scared of y'all. And I'm, I'll be on Facebook, like, when have you ever tried to holler at one of these youngins and they pulled a gun out on you and was like, get out of here, oh, hey, we ain't trying to hear that bull crap. That's not real. It's never happened. No, I've challenged the older generations. When has this ever happened? So, but you'll sit here and talk about, uh, you know, these, these youngins don't, they don't listen or nothing like that. But the minute that one of them wants you to go into the store and get them a pack of blunts, you'll get the money and go in the store and get them a pack of blunts. I'm like, it doesn't make any sense because that was your opportunity to be like, let me holler at you. What's going on with you? I ain't even saying don't go get them the blunts. I ain't, I ain't even getting in that. But how is it okay for you to go get them the blunts, but you won't give them a hug? You won't impart no type of wisdom on them. But you'll be, you know, with the other old heads and be like, man, these youngers don't care nothing about. They just reckless out here. It's not true. I came home after doing 17 years, man, and these youngers, they don't even cuss in front of me. Not that anything that I said, but it's the way I conduct myself. And I tell these old heads, y'all in the way. Y'all in the way. What are y'all scared of these youngers for? What are they really going to do to you? Half of them, majority of them, all of them are crying out. They want some type of guidance. Their dads are not there. You understand what I'm saying? So here you are acting like what everybody else in their life turning your back on. That's not going to work. I can only imagine. I still hug and kiss my kids. My son is 26 years old. I still kiss him on his cheek and hug him and tell him I love him before we get off the phone. I don't play that. But it's like so many of these youngins that are out here, I tell them even with the ones shooting, they have issues. They have issues. They're crying out. They've been led to believe some bull crap. That's why they out here selling drugs and shooting. They don't feel like there's no other way out. We out here, a lot of my friends that I grew up in a penitentiary with, we put the work in. Why? Because we feel responsible. I apologize to y'all. You understand what I'm saying? Because choices that I made compromised your life. That's not fair to you. But we got to start there. We got to learn how to trust each other. And, I, and, I, and I'll teach that to the day I die. If I can't trust you, I can't do no business with you. We can't get no money together if I don't trust you, right?
I'm not getting no money with you, man. I feel like you're going to snake me. No, I'm not, I'm not letting that happen. That's a problem. We don't trust each other. We have to get to that place. And we got to stop being scared of each other. Yeah, so that just reminded me of, like, how growing up, like, whenever I was a little kid, it was, like, tri- like engraved in my mind, like, be scared of neighborhoods like Homewood or Hazelwood. But as I grew up, like, at this age now, I'm much more afraid of, like, a white neighborhood than I will ever be of Homewood or, like, Hazelwood because here I feel safe because I see my people, like, I know that they care we're going through the same thing. But the minute I walk into a white neighborhood, like, these thoughts just flood into my mind. Like, okay, like, what if they try to frame me for something? What if they shoot me? What if they take me? Like, what if I don't come home? All right, before we wrap it up, do you have any last thoughts that you want to say? Well, you know, I'm, I'm just appreciative for the opportunity to come and speak to you guys. Uh, I didn't have many opportunities like this as a young, as a young man to speak to people who are older than me that can impart wisdom. But I would just encourage you guys to continue to stay engaged, continue to speak up, because you guys are the future. And if you guys, if your voices fall silent, we go backwards. You guys are the ones that are going to catapult us to the next level. So we're trusting you, we're believing in you to to do just that. I guess I, I would say, again, you know, to y'all, man, I apologize for my part that I play in it being a way that it is. You know what I mean? Because I wasn't perfect in it. Yeah, I didn't, you know, I didn't kill that lady that they said I killed. And I, and I had nothing to do with it. I wasn't involved in no way, shape, or form. But I know I didn't always make the right decisions. You know what I mean? I didn't, I didn't always do the right thing. I wasn't the best son that I could have been. You know what I mean? Being frustrated. My dad left. You know, y'all, we all know. My dad was gone. I didn't have any role models. My brother was trying to be my dad. That's not acceptable, you know what I mean? And I had to apologize to my mom for the mistakes that I made. But I feel like, man, in order for us to build bridges, man, we got to be real with ourselves. You know what I mean? We got taught some bull crap. We got led, you know what I mean, down the wrong road. And we got to take accountability for our actions. I apologize to y'all. Moving forward, I respect what y'all doing. Need y'all to keep it up. Need y'all to keep it up, man, for real. Like, I didn't expect to, you know, be able to do this. And I'm thinking, I'm coming to some older people. I didn't know what the situation was. And to see y'all, y'all look like me. You know what I mean? I, but my sons don't even talk to me about what I've been through. They just like, Dad, I'm happy you home. No, nah, let's talk about it, man. Because I know you feel some type of way about me being gone all that time. They're carrying that. My son's mom, my son's mom died while I was in prison. They had to go into foster care. He's carrying that. He can be society's problem right now. So I work hard every day to give him an alternative. Put him, built him a studio, got him into music. Everything that I can do to show him, I apologize, man. I don't work off of guilt. I'm just apologetic for what I did, my part that I played, and I extend that to y'all. Thank you for doing what y'all doing now. And if y'all selling drugs or got guns, if I see you, Uncle Rail gonna spank that butt. I'm letting you know. I'm getting in your chest, putting you in my trunk. We need y'all to do something different. We can't play. It's too serious. You understand what I'm saying? We need y'all to keep doing this. And I love y'all, man. Uh, can we can we all say our names to wrap this up? My my name is uh, Uncle Rail. I'm Teron Jenkins. My name's Royal. And that's going to conclude this podcast.
I'm Jayden. I'm Ace.
And that'll do it for the first episode. We hope you all enjoyed it, but definitely let us know what you thought. What did you like? What did you dislike? Your feedback is how we'll continue to get better. You can also join the conversation. So if you have thoughts on the discussion, would like to tell your story or be a guest on the show, please email us at seeuslearnmore at gmail.com or leave a voicemail at 412-453-6309. Remember, y'all, your story is your superpower.